This is the second Sunday of Advent, a season of preparation as we look forward to the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas as we study this morning in our Bible study. You know, it's expecting, it's the coming, the Advent. We do it both looking back at the coming of the Christ child and looking forward at the return of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We wait expectantly, hopefully, with anticipation. And this year I am preaching each of the four weeks themes of hope, love, joy, and peace in the light of John 14, 27, where Jesus shares these words, says, I do not give to you as the world gives. I hope you'll commit to joining us for each of these messages, which will culminate in a special worship service on Thursday evening, the 22nd, as we celebrate Christmas in this room and conclude the series with a message as only God can give as we tie this all back together. The second week of Advent celebrates love. The Bible has a lot to say on the topic of love, and many consider the Bible itself to be a a love story written to us. It certainly reveals the loving character of God. It instructs us how and why we should love and shares the accounts of those who have loved well, those who have been well-loved, and even some that, well, maybe didn't do it quite so well. I want to begin with a disclaimer, which is hopefully just a reminder of something that you already know. We don't always get God's commandments right. That's why we need a Savior. This world, it has its troubles, and we will have many trials in our life. That is a truth that is never glossed over or hidden from us. Not in the scripture, not in the words of Jesus Christ himself, and we know this to be true. But despite this commonality, it is not how God created the world to be, and it is certainly not how God desires the world to operate. And this is the downside of the free will that we've been given. As we open God's word to seek wisdom on just how love is supposed to be look and feel and be expressed, I want us to, to take hope. And that knowing that is, it's not an impossible expectation. As we compare and contrast how the world gives love, let's take advantage of a lesson as a motivator to do better. Now, there is a principle that is repeated throughout the entirety of the Bible, so we can't help but consider its message. Listen to, to Jesus' own words from the Sermon on the Mount, which is recorded in Matthew 5. If you'd like to open your Bibles or follow along on the screen, I'll be starting with verse 43, which is subtitled, Love for Enemies. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, let me pause here for a moment and offer some context. Jesus came to teach the law and the commandments, to fulfill the law and the prophecies, and to demonstrate their application as God intended them. Many of Jesus' teaching, including the Sermon on the Mount, are often start with statements such as, you've heard it said. And then he provides additional instruction or clarification. What he says, or when he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, he's referring to the law and the commandments given to Moses found in the First Testament book in Leviticus. Leviticus 19.18 says, do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And then it ends with a statement, I am your Lord. Framed in that context, let's read on. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, What are you doing more than others? 
Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's a lot to process in there, right? It's so easy to love and pray for those that, that we like and want good things for. It's not so easy and it doesn't come so natural to pray for those who it says persecute us, right? And persecution can be all kinds of stuff. They may not be literally throwing rocks and whips and whipping you, but they might be persecuting you with an attitude or a look or, or a strained relationship. But he's saying that's even more important that you pray for those. And here's why. Number one, they're God's children too. But secondly, it's therapeutic for you. When you pray for someone, it softens your heart. And it's really hard to do. It is, I, I know. But praying for someone is the commandment, even more so those that, that we would say are our enemies. But love, perfect love is unconditional. It's not based on what they do for you or whether they love you first or even back. Rather, it's based on who they are, which is a child of God, just like you. You know, in fact, if you think of that, if it's not based on who they are or, or whether they loved you first, isn't that the scripture that we know? We love God, loved us first, right? God loved us first. We didn't love him yet. We're still figuring that one out. And God demonstrates this kind of perfect love in this way from Romans 5, 8. While we were still sinners, while we're still wrong and doing wrong and being disobedient and persecuting him and others, Christ died for us. The instruction to love others, all others, is repeated throughout the gospels and epistles of the New Testament. Luke 6.35 says, love your enemies, do good for them, and lend to them without expect to get anything back. Then your, reward will be, then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High. Now, it doesn't say your immediate reward or that dollar for dollar reward or whatever. It says your reward will be great, and we know from the promise where we're supposed to keep our treasures and our reward. That's the promise. I've officiated... I've officiated many weddings this year, and although it may be considered cliche to do so, I, it is so important that the words of 1 Corinthians 13 be included in the instructions given to the couple, if not during the ceremony in itself, then, then in the premarital counseling, that they understand this scripture that, that is so, like I said, almost seems cliche, but, but we can't let that lose its power. These are familiar words, but I want you to give careful consideration to them in all relationships, not just marriage, all relationships. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. But if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. It's okay. I want you to look at all these things that we think are good and valuable, right? If you do this and I did not. No, you were right, Becky. I'm going to put it on tape. I told her to advance the slide too early. Sorry about that. First Corinthians 13. But if all these things, right, if we, we speak of tongues of men and angels, if we, if we have love and, and if we have all these gifts and we can have all this faith, but we don't love, it's meaningless, Right? Paul writes elsewhere, utterly meaningless. Then he goes on the part we really know. This is really what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Anybody else struggling with this? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Guys, this is prescription for love. And yes, we put this in marriages, but isn't this what we should be looking at? Our family and our friends and what? Enemies, right? Not self-seeking. We don't dishonor them. We don't keep records of wrong. We don't delight in evil that happens to them. We want to protect them and trust and hope and, and we want this relationship to persevere. Verse eight, love never fails. Then talks about in contrast, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled and where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part what we prophecy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. In this last statement, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of that, of faith, hope, and love. Why, why would the Bible say that the greatest of these is love? Now, I think one could have a few different opinions and interpretations of that statement, but let me give you one to consider. For this, I'm going to, I'm going to pull out 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. It says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Does that not ring true of, of what we read during the, our time of giving? I think it's impossible that, that, I think it is possible that through love you show others by way of serving and caring and, and acceptance. I think this is one thing we overlook, right? The acceptance part. Accepting people where they're at. Judging their sin differently than we judge our own. Their vice versa differently than we judge our own. And so we forgo this thing that, that we call acceptance. But is it possible that the love we throw, show with others who are serving and caring and acceptance, that the love of God is revealed to them? Consider the verse I shared during our time of offering this morning, right? Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, faith and hope are centered in God. True faith and true hope is in God, not in how the chiefs are going to do at 325. I mean, God knows when they're playing today. <laughs> but if you needed a reminder... But, but a real hope, a true hope is in God and God's things and God's promises. Experiencing his love and acceptance, even though it is through the actions and attitudes of another person, that helps us to understand the true meaning of faith and hope and what real hope is. So yes, I would agree that the greatest of these is love because it leads to the relationship and that understanding of those things. Consider also the bold statement of that first line, above all, above everything else, Love each other deeply 
because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I think I've tended to read and understand this is, allows us to overlook the sins of others or, or the ways they've wronged us, right? I love you too much to hold that against you. But as I've studied these commandments and examples of love for this Advent message, I'm realizing that covers means to negate the sins, right? The, like a debt is covered. Does that concept sound familiar as we look forward to the birth of Christ child and his purpose in the world to cover our sins? That's the love of Christ. That's the love of God. That's the love we're to have together to cover the sins, not to, not to forgive them, not to, or not to, to forgive, but not, not to overlook them, not to whatever, but to truly, truly pay that debt. God's forgiveness is an act of his love and it was not new upon the death and resurrection of Christ. It was, it was established for an eternity. Long before Christ came into the world as, as man, the psalmist of the First Testament, David in 86, wrote, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. God loving you and wanting to forgive you is not something new and a New Testament God. God always, always wanted that relationship with his people. And Paul reminds the Christians in Jerusalem in the New Testament book of Hebrews 8.12 that God had previously and continues to forgive the multitude of sins. He promised to the prophet Jeremiah, he says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That is true love and it takes true power to forgive and to choose to forget. Not out of a weakness because I can't remember, but a strength that says I choose to forget and remove that. You know, that's what you're called to do when your love covers a multitude of sins against you? 1 John 4, 7, 21 compares God's love to ours by way of an encouraging statement. It says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And it says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son in the world that we might live through him. And it says, this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, it says, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God is love, continuing. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In the world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And then here's a verse I referred to starting at 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, it hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, I'd like to think we're going to do it not because he said so, but because we know it's right and it feels good. It is the Apostle Paul who, like us, was called to continue Jesus' ministry in the world, right? We're on the same mission as Jesus, the same mission that we read about in these scriptures. In his letter to the Christians gathered in Rome, he offered this description of love and action. Romans 12, 9-21. It's titled Love and Action. It says, Love must be sincere. 
hate what is evil. What? God's telling us to hate. He goes, yeah, that's how strong this is. You need to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And just as a note, people who are willing or do menial work, okay? Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, and that's the kicker, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. God is a good and fair judge, and we will all be called into judgment. We want to be judged by him, not others. We need to extend that same love to others. And last, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to take a few minutes to unpack this message. That message started with a simple statement, love must be sincere. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Paul writes, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This is, this is how love is expressed. And the statement speaks more about your motivation of your love. Perhaps this is the greatest point of contrast between the love of God shows and the, and the love that we are to show others is, is what it's based on, what's motivated by, and how it's shown. And I want to be clear when I say as the world gives. I'm, I'm not saying that it is all that we are capable of, nor am I saying that, that this is how we are naturally wired. One of the underlying messages of all scriptures is that we were created to love like God loves to accept others like God accepts, to forgive like God ex- forgives. He has given you and I that ability and that instruction. We don't do it perfectly, and over time we've come to accept less than the best definition of the expressions of love. Now we find ourselves working our way back to the way that we were created to love. It seems like more of a chore to forgive and love and pray for those that are unlovable as we deem them. When God says that, that person doesn't exist. Perhaps that is why it is so rewarding to show love for others. The world may consider it a spirit of Christmas, but we know it is the spirit of Christ himself. 1 John three sixteen through 18 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If not literally, then in other ways. We, we make personal sacrifices for the care and compassion of others. We set aside money for things that we want in order to help provide money for the things people need. Time to do things we enjoy to help others find enjoyment in life. That is laying your life down for another. And it says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This has been the theme of this year intentionality. 
1 John 4, 11, he continues, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is a love based on something greater than do they love me or, or even like me. This is the original pay it forward without expecting repayment from the person. Just a sincere hope that they will pay it forward as well. That's the gift of, of paying it forward, right? Not that I'm doing something nice for you so you do it back. I'm doing something nice for you and they do something nice for someone else and it grows exponentially. Imagine what the world would look like if everyone put God first, others second, but still remembered themselves, right? Because we still need to take care of ourselves. That is the world that God created. That is the world that God intended. And I am sure that that is what heaven looks and feels like. So this season, Advent, Christmas, it, it truly is a season without boundaries. We don't put away our hope. We don't put away our faith. We don't put away our love and forgiveness and, and mercy and grace when we pack up the wreaths. The power of Christmas is fulfilled in the events of Easter and the gift of both Christmas and Easter is eternal. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. True words. That, this is a love that is not as the world gives but certainly should be. God put Jesus here on earth among us so that we could put him there on the cross so that we could all be together, God, Jesus, ourselves, each other, together in heaven beyond this life, what is here and now. That is true love, a perfect love and continues into an eternal future in the presence of our very good and loving God. John 15, 12, I'll wrap it up with this. says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Not that the world has loved you. Friends, we must do better. That is the challenge, but also the mission and the instruction. And I want to make that our prayer as we close. Would you join me, please? Heavenly Father, there are so many things we claim to love. Things that are just nice and things we enjoy. And there are people we love. Because people are easy to love sometimes. But Lord, you don't say those are the only ones we're called to love. You tell us to love everyone. In fact, you put a special emphasis on loving those that we might consider unlovable or our enemy. Love defeats evil. Love conquers sin. Love conquers the troubles and afflictions and brings about peace and hope and love and faith. Lord, that's what you call us to, to be an instrument of your love in this world, to show others your love as we pay forward what you have so freely and generously given each one of us. Now, I know there are times when we feel unlovable ourselves. And God, that's when we dive back into you and say, Father, remind me who I am to you. What is my value to you? as we get re-energized re and replenished. And that's a part of why we gather here on Sunday. It's a part of why we study the Bible on Wednesdays and Sundays. Just to get that, that shot of energy that says, child, this is the truth about you. This is who you are to me. Now go let everyone else know they are as well. Heavenly Father, as we continue to celebrate this Advent season, let it be a season without end. As, as we turn the page on the calendar and face next year, may we do so with every bit of hope and love and joy as we have right now. That is the mission. And we accept that challenge. 
In your son's name we pray. Amen.